five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Yes, indeed, that was the Ohio players with uh, fire. I was trying to figure out what uh, what tune I would play in a very brief period of time, you know. And I wanted that I wanted that fire theme. And I want this. I guess I can look at this. Um, I wanted that fire theme, and I thought, what about Billy Joel? We didn't start the fire. I'm thinking, no, I don't want to play Billy Joel. I'm not into Billy Joel. It doesn't mean that there aren't some songs that I kind of like by Billy Joel, but there's something about the idea of Billy Joel that turns me off. Talented guy. I mean, you know, he's talented. Play the piano. He's got a good voice. And uh, certainly... Successful, popular, I'm just not a fan. Uh, how is everybody? Good morning. Welcome to another edition of 15 Minutes of Flame. And we are returning to Lahaina. And um, let's see what's happening. Back at the scene of the crime. Looking more and more like the crime of the century. Let me uh, Let me get into chat here. And let's see what's up. We're going to have a bit of an abbreviated show today because we got a lot of things to take care of here on the home front. And my astrology schedule has been nuts with clients. So we're just trying to pack it all in. <laughs> and, and I'm doing an event in uh, 35 days, roughly. So it's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. And, uh, we're going to cram it in. Let's see who we got here. We got DJMC, my man, Michael, Thor to door, Steve. I'm going to reach out to you this week. We are going to talk. Uh, user 13, on time. It's a miracle or something. Maybe I'm on time and that's a miracle or something. So we're both on time. There's my man, Thomas, Thomas Jordan. What's happening, TJ? Yes, man. We got a little of those Ohio players. I like the extended mix and that guitar really like just is scorching on the extended mix crossfire cats here what's happening crossfire double b beth berry harriet boo seven what's going on harriet hey hey huckabuck 411 and sony's back always good to see the classy one past lives matter is here jello uh let's see lisa w hi lisa who else? We have friends here. What's happening? Fantastic. Always good to see around these parts. Uh, oh my God! What's with the clothes they are wearing? Anyway, uh, hello, hola, every everyone from 
you know where. You know, that's funny, Glenn. I was thinking about their clothes. I'm like, what happened to those outfits? What happened to those outfits? Do they still have them? Do one of those guys have them? Did they wind up on eBay? Because you have to wonder just, you know, how much of the dough the Ohio players actually kept, right? Uh, yeah, I thought the same thing about the outfits. Here's our friend, Moira. Moira in NYC. What's happening? I got it right, didn't I? Moira. Uh, who else do we have? Satin Funk. I like that. If I could highlight that that, that uh, chat, I would. Satin Funk. One of Leary's funniest comments, Billy Joel is the iceberg lettuce of rock. It's so true. That was like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't know Tim Leary actually listened to Billy Joel, but that makes sense. He is the iceberg lettuce of rock. The, the, I don't know if it was on that one. I think Glass Houses is a pretty good record, actually. That's, I'm not a big Billy Joel fan, but there are some songs on Glass Houses I like. Love that hat. I have one. You do have one. They're a collector's item. Not in the Billy either, but husband is. I suffer. I'm sorry, Harriet. I'm sorry. I listen to Billy Joel around the house might be. Like, how many times do you have to listen to a version of the piano, man? Yikes. No one made them wear that. No, Bo. That was their choice. They were, they were. Did you see Jordan Peterson's jacket the other day? Speaking of, of fashion, let me see if I can find this jacket, his latest podcast. You know, Jordan Peterson, he's kind of in trouble. He's been reprimanded by uh, the Canadian board of, um, he's into these weird suits now. The Canadian Board of like Psychology or whatever, he's being reprimanded. Um, because they think that he is trafficking in hate speech. And in order to keep his license, he's going to have to go through some kind of training. Like, like, like a struggle session, right? That's what Jordan Peterson's going to have to go through. Let me, let me show you this. Uh, he's been wearing these weird suits. I don't, I don't know who is giving him fashion tips, but he's been wearing these very weird suits. So here he is, sort of like this red, the blue, the red and the blue. And he was wearing this other suit. Let me see if I can find it on uh, his latest YouTube show. And it looks like it's something out of the Hunger Games. It looks like Hunger Games fashion. So I can find this. It's right here. Here's This is this other suit. And he did fashionalism in with his daughter, Michaela. You guys will see it here. And I know that he's a Gemini, so the red, the blue thing is really Gemini-like. But, I mean, so 
And I think he's got like it's embroidered with Jay Peterson on the lapel. I mean, this looks like a fucking suit from Batman. You know, he he's like a he's either a villain from Batman or he's uh, he's in the Hunger Games. And and I think part of this has to do with the color scheme of his podcast, which is based on these colors. But my question is, how often is he going to wear this damn suit? I mean, I think he's actually making the Ohio players look like they're sporting some Givenchy or, you know, uh, not quite Calvin Klein. They'd they'd have to look a little more like Cowboys with, with Calvin Klein. Maybe Gucci. That is not Gucci. That you know what that is? And pardon me if I offend anybody when I say that's Canadian. That's a Canadian suit, right? I mean, and what's going on up here with the uh, the shoulder? And he's got this like silver crown, and everything is kind of reversed. He's got the orange cufflink, the black slip. Like, who thought this was a good idea? And again, he's you know kind of rocking this old Gemini thing in some ways, black and orange, and everything's sort of reversed. Is this like apparel alchemy or something like that? So there you go. There's a little, little fashion update from Jordan Peterson. I almost said Julian Peterson. He used to play for the 49ers. Uh, let's see who else we have here. Yes, my crown of thorns past lives. That's true. Absolutely. No one made that work. That's still a funny comment. Darlene Tiffer. Hey, what's happening? Crystal Royce is here. Welcome, Crystal Royce. Surely, surely you just, our friend from the Placid Shores of Maryland. What's going on, Shirley? Good to see you. Uh, let's see. On vacation this week, we're watching. The grants for a couple of days. Good. All right. Who else? Word out and word up to Wendy. Tom says Allentown is a good song. I, you know, I kind of like Allentown. I, I, Tom, I'll check that box. I'll check that box. But I would say Glass Houses. That's to me. That's the. Uh, that's the record. Otherwise, not if I mean either. Kelly B's here. Hey, Kelly B. What's happening? There's Janine. What's happening, Janine? He must go to the re-education. It's true. That's what they're making him do. They're going to sit him down. So if you're Jordan Peterson, like, what's your next move? Would you say revoke my license? I would. Like, why does he need a license to practice now? He's a fucking internet celebrity. He's got 7.4 million subscribers on his YouTube channel. He, does, he, he doesn't need to be Dr. Jordan Peterson anymore. He could let go of that and just be Jordan Peterson. And maybe he might want to think about leaving Canada. Just saying. Unless he's in on the whole thing, which is quite, that's a possibility. But, uh, yeah, just drop it, man. So tell, tell him to go fuck off. Say, so go ahead. Just, you know, 
I won't practice anymore. I don't need to practice. I don't need to teach. He's made a shit ton of money. You know, why, why, why go, why jump through all those hoops? Now, if he says no, then what will they do? Will they say, okay, well, you're going to have to not only surrender your license, but surrender to authorities. Ooh. That would be tricky. I think at that time, it's time to move. Time to get out of uh, Ontario, baby. Uh, let's see. Billy Joel stuff was great. Early stuff was great. Was later, uh, later on in the 80s and early 90s, he was married to the blonde. Blonde, not so much. Um yeah, I mean, I, I I could see where you could make a case for that. I could, I what was that record, Streetlight Serenade or whatever? I guess you could make a case for that. There is, I remember watching a, one of those late night shows. It was a really early late night TV show, and they had all these different musicians on there. It was sometime in the maybe the mid seventies, maybe around 75, 76, something along those lines, 74, 75. And it was people like Jackson Brown and, and, you know, the avocado mafia and Billy Joel was part of it. He was playing piano and he had, he had the big frizzy hair. You remember that? We did the big frizzy hair. And um, I remember watching that show and I thought, well, the piano player is pretty good. Because I didn't know a lot about Billy Joel at that time. And I, okay, so maybe I'm liking Billy Joel more than I said I did. But when I first heard The Piano Man, I really liked it. I'm like, oh man, this guy is talented. He's soulful. He's catching all these personal stories of all these people, you know, who have broken lives and lonely hearts. Man, I kind of like this. But then after you hear Piano Man for maybe the 1500th time, it's like, enough. I don't want to hear about these people anymore. Back to yelling at everyone today. Kelly B locked into caps. We yell away, Kelly B. Yell away. Uh, let's see. Jordan has his credit. Doesn't need. I agree. I, Lynn, you and I are on the same page. I was in Crossfire Cast. He looks like a court jester. He does. It's the weirdest fucking suit. And what about his little monogram autograph on the side? That's <laughs> like, who's his tailor? I think he has the same tailor as the Joker from Batman. Tom says he looks like the Joker. There it is. I'm Jordan Peterson. I said you, Jordan Peterson. He's not He's not that hard to do. I mean, I'd have to do it a few times. But Jordan Peterson is not that hard to do. I'd have to do it a few times. Um, that suit is making a statement. I, it's, it's a Hunger Game suit. It's just bizarre. I, if I hear cultural sensitivity one more time, we are on a clash, a massive culture clash. Uh, Michael says Harvey Dent. Yeah, there's that too, right? Two-Face. Uh, Tondar. Hi, Tondar. Fashion's not dead. has been reborn unto Jordan Peterson to shuffle the earth <laughs> as a walkie corpse. <laughs> you guys are too fucking funny. That is really funny. Tonda are getting exclamation marks in chat. I'm, 
That was good. Oh, Canada, wherefore art thou? <laughs> Past lives matter. It looks like the devil was confused that day. You guys are killing it. I was your Ed McMahon today. I just served up Jordan Peterson in his new suit. And you guys got out the uh, Tuckco knives and started uh, flailing away there. That was that's awesome. That is very fashion to be bought, but style is a gift. <laughs> Janet Landers, hey Liddy Lou, we'll be seeing you soon. What's going on? JP lives for this. I guess so. I guess he does. He he, he better shit can his degree in his letters and just say fuck you. Uh, let's see who else we have. Taste and style. Some have it, some don't. That's true. Yeah. See, Lynn, Lynn said the same thing. No way I'd put up with that BS. Yep. Great minds, Lynn. Great minds. Janet met Billy Joel in Lexington, Kentucky. I, so I bet he was a nice guy. I bet, I bet he, I bet meeting him sort of quickly face to face, he would probably be this guy. Mrs. J. Well, thank you for seeing me. God bless back to you, Ms. J. Not Mrs. J, Ms. J. Uh, Catalina Wine Mixer. <laughs> you guys are killing it today. Yes, I have to incorporate his pregnant pauses. You're right. It's true. It's a Picasso. Ooh. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's a. Uh, maybe it's more like a Jeff Koontz. Oh, look at uh, Moira saw Jackson Brown on Saturday. Great show. I never liked Jackson Brown. However, here is my asterisk disclaimer. And I, I've I've said the story, but I was at this big Amnesty concert in California. It, it was the most star-studded concert I had ever seen. And all the groups came out and played maybe three or four songs max. No full sets. But um, from top to bottom, here's, here's, here's the lineup was. The Neville Brothers opened. They were great. And it was before the Neville Brothers sort of became a thing. And then Joan Baez came on. She was not great. And the Neville Brothers backed her up. And then I think in no particular order, there was Lou Reed. Um, who else? Brian Adams, who was surprisingly good. I was like, fucking Brian Adams, the Canadian. He rocked. Brian Adams was surprisingly good. Uh, who else? Peter Gabriel was there. It was like, he was debuting Red Rain, that, that whole so record. Fantastic. Um, you two were there. Sting and the Blue Turtles were there. They were great. Their version of When the World is Running Down is awesome. And uh, Branford Marsalis went out there and rapped, and they were stepping, and it was great and then jackson brown was there and jackson brown was actually really good 
like I appreciated Jackson Brown at another level. He brought with him a bunch of like Peruvian musicians. He was kind of in this sort of Peruvian folk rock phase. And it actually sounded pretty good. Other than that, uh, was never on my playlists. Let's see, the moon, of course, and Aquarius is chaotic, yes. A little kooky, right? Paint by colors. You guys are just undressing, literally. Jordan Peterson. I did like Jackson's lawyer song. Alcohol is a powerful drug. All right, I think we've caught up here. You guys just provided me with incredibly rich content for the day. Oh, God. Get out of here. Out of here. Let's see. What else do we have? Let's talk about Lahaina. By the way, I'm not going to go for a long time today because I got way too much on my plate. Uh, we are in the midst of closing on a house. This is it. This is the day the or the next two days. So a lot of my activity is going to be just pointed in that direction. And it's going to be a really interesting new chapter um, in my life. And I guess my mother's life as well. And this whole living together thing is a very interesting experiment. Let's put it that way. Very, very interesting. And so, you know, we're both trying to find our place and our niche um, inside one another's living space and uh, how we navigate that. Sometimes it's good. And sometimes we're... we're it, sometimes it works. And other times there's definitely some some turbulence but it is what it is right and i've got saturn going through my my fourth house so it uh it kind of fits the program but i think it, i think ultimately this will be good for uh for her and uh so some of you who will come to the hill country will actually uh, get to hang out at the new place. We won't be physically moved in by that time because we're going to have to wait till after the event to do that. Uh, but that's going to happen, and it'll it'll be good. It'll be a good it'll be a good experience to sort of have this thing that there's an investment in, albeit who knows how long the investment will be. And I, I know for my mother that actually owning a piece of property is uh, important to her, right? So anyway, um, it's not outrageous. It's not an outrageous place, um, but it's also livable. It's kind of like, for those of you who were uh, at the uh, South Creek place, it's kind of like that place. It's a little bit like that place. The backyard isn't as big, but, um, and there's not as many trees, but it has that, it has that vibe. And it's in a neighborhood, which I talked about. And that'll be interesting. So that's what's happening here. If you didn't see serious sports last night, check it out. It was a good show. Myself and Mr. Dog, Al Dog, were uh, really slicing it up. We got a Pat Tillman's chart. 
um, we kind of did a recap on all the things we talked about over the last couple of weeks, which all became news items. We talked about uh, Trey Lance in, in kind of a big way. And he got traded to the Dallas Cowboys. I had a feeling he would go to the Cowboys. He felt like he, it felt like a place for him. And so we, so we, we kind of recapped the whole Trey Lance thing, which we had talked about the week before. And Reggie Bush, who we had talked about two weeks ago, came back around. He's now suing the NC2A for defamation. He's trying to get his Heisman back. I don't blame the guy. Um, I'm not sure the defamation suit is going to work. I'm not sure what other legal recourse he has, but he wants his Heisman trophy back. I don't blame him. And we also talked about the dangers of betting with college football. And it is, it's a danger. Uh, there are numerous accounts. This one guy plays 1,200 bets. He plays running back for Iowa State University. So all those things that we were talking about as part of the news cycle, they all came back. And then we went through went through all of that. And then we got into what's called the aeon, what I call the aeons of football, and how the different uh, dynasties from different decades represent sort of these different developmental phases of America. And we're in a kind of a post-football era. You know, we had the Patriots from basically 2001 to 2020. And that was their reign, you know, 20 years of regime change, the Patriots and the Patriot Act. And that was cool. It was good. It was, it was a really good show. And I really enjoy hanging out with Al. We've got a small but dedicated group, and I hope we can grow the audience a bit more. And uh, next week, it'll actually be this week because we're going to do a pre-record tomorrow night. And it will be with Mark Matheny. You guys know Mark. He's been, sometimes he shows up here and hangs out in chat. And he's been on the, the Friday show. And Mark has thousands of charts that are related to players and teams. And uh, we'll have a good show. It'll be our, our NFL football special with, uh, with Mark uh, next Monday night. So, you know, slow and steady wins the race, as they say. Or as my grandmother used to say, a constant drop wears a hole in the rock. I think I get it. Um, so let's let's return here to Hawaii. Now there is a bit of a debate around dues and non-dues. So Alex Jones, who Alex, Alex is right a, a lot of the time. I think sometimes, hey, look who's here. Come on. Come on. Yeah, right. Look who's here. Yeah, the man. Hi, everybody. Jasper's here. Buddy, about time. Yeah. Um, I think Alex Jones definitely has inside sources. Uh, or is Alex Jones part of the part of the cabal? There's this guy on Twitter named Donnie Darkin, and he's got a very uh, popular Twitter feed. And his Twitter feed is based on the fact that they're going to slip in a light new world order versus a dark new world order. So what does that mean? It means that 
this whole thing with Trump is a setup to set up a Luciferian world order versus a satanic world order. And that the whole thing is a trick so that people can agree and consent to an age of false light. And that even Alex Jones is part of that Luciferian cabal. Okay. Um, so I think there's some interesting pieces with the theory. But if you go back, and here's where I kind of diverge with things just a little bit. That if you go back far enough, you will run into this idea. See, they, this is a group of people that think Atlantis was evil, right? And and there's a very good possibility there are at least five other civilizations that had been here before the one that we're currently in. And they get to a certain point and they hit the reset button. So we're in the latest version of the reset button. And I think we can clearly see that. Klaus Schwab has told you that. Uh, but they believe that Atlantis is evil. I don't believe Atlantis is evil. And, you know, where does the Atlantean story end and the so-called Tartarian story begin? And there's this idea that these uh, direct energy weapons were used in Atlantis, or not Atlantis, um, whatever we call Tartaria, right? That not only were they used to literally melt buildings, many of which John Levi has talked about, uh, but also to melt the mud, right? Hence the mud flood, not anything caused by a deluge of water from the sky, but a liquefaction caused by something that heats the earth up and turns it into uh, a pool of muddy goo, right? And if that's true, you know, and there are some people who, who believe that this whole Tartari thing was kind of evil. Like there was, there was like, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't buy that. Right. But again, we're, we're, we're sort of stepping down from this idea of Atlantis and what they want to do is recreate the new Atlantis, which in some people's minds is Luciferic. And if you go back far enough, and I've, I've told this story before, that there's this theory that the planet was essentially created by a force, like an interplanet, it's a theory, let's go in here, an interplanetary, intergalactic uh, group of pioneers, world creators. And they essentially like created this place, right? And the, the, the two entities that were at the top of the food chain kind of running the operation were Yahweh and Lucifer. And this comes out of this channel series that I read years ago 
called Shining the Light. And I only had the first book. It was actually quite interesting. Uh, it, it went into some other stuff that had to do with Arizona topography, canyons, uh, extraterrestrial anomalies. But the backstory was fascinating. And the backstory, this gets right into everything. All these different myths with the brother and the half-brother, the brother and the half-brother, the brother and the half-brother. In the Bible, of course, you get uh, uh, Cain and Abel. In Norse mythology, you have Thor and you have Loki. And Loki is Thor's half-brother. Um, and I'm not sure if Enlil and Enki are half-brothers, but they could be. But this theme of these two brothers is a cross-cultural story that you can see in all these creation tales. So the story of Yahweh and Lucifer, and Lucifer is a half-brother, so he's part Syrian and he's part Orion, right? So the Orion part of Lucifer is the rebellious part. So what they do is they come in and they terraform the planet, and there is like a species of proto-humans here. And that's where a lot of the DNA stuff comes into play. And Lucifer befriends them. So I think we're talking about sort of this version of Lemuria, right? Where the Casey, you'll find the same story. And the Lemurians were, quote, unquote, very instinctual people. Uh, and that they could do things with their bodies that were quite athletic. Let's put it that way. So then, according to this mythology, this Genesis story, Lucifer sees these people and says, you are living in shitty conditions. I want to liberate. There's this sub-theme, which is very much like sort of the Enki and Enlil story. And, of course, Enlil is the Yahweh character of the Epic of Gilgamesh. He's a, he's a hard-ass. I mean, he's a pit boss. That's what Enlil is. He's a pit boss. You're going to go in there and you're going to get the gold, right? That's that's the, the commonly held theme of the story, right, supposedly. Um, but we'll transpose it to Yahweh and, and, uh, and, and Lucifer. So Lucifer says, i got to liberate these people. I have to give them their own story, their own place, their own land. And that's the Orion part of him that is rebellious. And so he, he takes a group of them and he creates Atlantis, right? So Lucifer is the creator god of Atlantis. And what he does is he tinkers with their DNA because he's got the skills. He's got the mad, the mad mixing skills. And he turns them into like the early versions of us. And removes their body hair and all the other stuff that theoretically goes along with uh, sort of the Lemurian story. And he lives a long time and Atlantis rises to these heights. And then what happens? Then Atlantis, of course, collapses due to a number of issues, most of which is the disappearance of Lucifer, the creator god. So there's so out of this story, you you have this this group of people who have slotted themselves. I've talked about this before. This is just to bring this whole thing forward. You have the sons of Belial, and then you have the law of one. And the sons of Belial are kind of in the Yahweh camp. 
like they can't rule themselves. They're, you know, they're, they're, we have to manage them. We have to manage this unruly species. And then the law of one is more along the lines of like libertarians. Let them run their thing. Give them a chance. They're like Trey Lance fans. So uh, according to lore, these groups have been kind of clashing together through time. Now, I don't know if it's, you know, Scottish Rite versus York Rite. I I, I can't get that granular. But I do believe that there are probably lodges that are in some kind of conflict with one another. But it boils down into these two groups, right? And then you have Boaz and Yakin, which also I think are representative of these two groups. So the idea is that Trump would be part of the law of one group and that Trump is Luciferic and that this is all a Luciferic exercise to get people to accept the false light and not the true light of heaven or the true light of God or the true light of Christ. And this guy has thousands of followers on Twitter. And I could, I could see where that would be a compelling narrative based on what we know. It'd be a totally compelling narrative. And at the same time, um, like, do I have a problem with that? I'm not, I'm not even sure if I have a problem with it. I mean, look, I have issues with Trump because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And everything here now is, you know, this kind of um, psychic load that, you know, Trump's like, like, like a, uh, he's like a black sun, right? He's like a black sun. He's like a dark star. And he's sucking up all this energy, even if it's negative, right? And it's just making him stronger. And what's really interesting is, you know, this whole, uh, I'll just say it, like the negatives for Trump, right? That's what they call themselves, the negatives for Trump. And you have, and this is a very interesting um, trend as part of the story, and that these guys are, they're like all in, right? But if you, what's interesting about that is, is that now there's this transference of power through melanin, which Trump did not have before. I mean, he had it a little bit, you know, in the nineties um, and even in the early two thousands where a lot of like hip hop guys were rapping about him, but there was something uniquely like transformational about this particular group of people who are now throwing in behind him because, well, he's being persecuted like they were persecuted or have been persecuted. So they're, they're identifying with him as kind of a political prisoner in some ways or um, a scapegoat for society's problems. So now that's a whole other kind of wave of energy that, that, that Trump is now soaking up. And he's so far ahead of the polls. Um, so it's an interesting theory. But then it comes down to, all right, well, could we live in that world? Would that world be an acceptable substitute for the dark new world order or the dark age um, and Klaus Schwab? Or do we have to 
say no to that and and not consent to that so that we can wait for the return of Christ, the thousand years of peace and all that stuff, right? Now, um, there are some people, and my, fr my friend John Levi actually brought this up the first time I heard it, and I, it made a lot of sense. And he talked about everything like that, that revelation had already happened. Revelation was the end times of what we call Tartaria. And that we are now in the little season. They talk about that, the little season, where you know it, it is the prelude before the thousand years. It, we're in the little season territory. So, you know, what wh what are your options? Do you go to the dark age? The dark, dark, dark new age, eat the bugs, the the false light, new age, which is clearly better than the dark age, but maybe deceptive and gets you hooked into the beast uh, in a way that is more uh, user-friendly. Or do you hold out and wait for it all to go away so that we are in no age and uh, the uh, the will of heaven has descended upon this realm? These are just thoughts, right? But they're being actively talked about. And I could, I could see where you could make a case for Trump in that way. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that this has always been here. It's always been here. We've always dealt with these factions of dark light in this experience. And they've been kind of clashing with each other for a long time. By the way, today is William Friedkin's birthday as well. I, you know, Billy Friedkin was an interesting guy. If you want to watch some good interviews on YouTube, check out William Friedkin. Okay, I said we would go back to Lahaina. And let me see if I can um, let me see if I can find a, a good Lahaina link here. Um, oh my God, we live in such a bizarre time. Such a bizarre time. Let me see. Keep going here. Didn't Bob Barker die already? I thought he died already, and then he died again. Is, isn't that isn't that kind of a Mandela effect thing? That's what I think. I thought he had died already. Uh, let's see. Okay, I'm going to play you a very funny video before the show is over. Very, very funny video. Here, let's go over here. I'm hoping to, to make a connection with another person in Lahaina. And maybe this week. All right, so some of this I cannot corroborate. But we're just going to, um, we're going to get into some of this. Let's check this out.
more than 2,000 children. And this is not from some tinfoil, not that there's anything wrong with tinfoil. This isn't from some, from some tin, tinfoil conspiracy site. This is uh, EV Magazine. And if you're listening on the uh, podcast side, more than 2,000 children from Lahaina Public Schools still missing after Maui wildfires. There are still 850 people missing from the Maui wildfires, but a new report from the Hawaii State Department of Education shows that there are more than 2,000 children who are unaccounted for in the public school system. That is fucking nuts. Now, here's this is where I think it gets weird. That didn't they send the kids home? I think they sent the kids home. But a lot for a lot of these kids, their parents weren't home. The parents were at work. So what happened to the kids from the point where they were being sent home? Did they walk home? Did a bus drop them off? Like there's a lot of questions. Maybe, maybe the article can answer a few here. Um I'm just going to read this. In early August, catastrophic wildfire engulfed Lahaina, Maui, leaving over 100 confirmed dead and 850 missing. The tragedy has ignited a firestorm of criticism directed at Hawaii State Governor, Governor, particularly uh, Governor Josh Green. I always, that's, you know, you're going to elect a governor who's going to implement the new Green Deal or the Green New Deal. Isn't that, that's like some NLP shit. For perceived inadequacies, particularly Governor Josh Green, perceived inadequacies in emergency response and preparedness, the absence of warning sirens, they turned the water off, they turned the sirens off, and then they blockaded people in. I mean, all those actions are completely fireable offenses. And I think only the the siren guy has stepped down. The fire coincided with the first day back at school for many students. Schools have been closed due to an outage, leaving many children home alone. Tragic stories have emerged, including that of a 14-year-old who perished along with the family dog as his parents were trapped behind a police barricade. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Green's recent anti-housing proclamation aimed at speeding up the construction of 50,000 new homes on Oahu has further fueled public skepticism. Residents are concerned that developers will exploit the tragedy to build expensive hotels and condominiums, particularly as many of the uh, destroyed properties lie along the coastline. Despite reassurances from Green, the fears persist, fueled by Maui's existing housing crisis and an average home price of $1.2 million. Adding to the controversy is the state police chief, John Pelletier, who, what, I think he's the guy from Las Vegas, isn't it? Yeah. Who has a history of service during the 2017 Las Vegas shooting. I guess if you want a guy to cover something up, that's your guy. The federal disaster declaration has not alleviated concerns. Locals report minimal assistance in the wake of disaster. For instance, the Department of Health initially blocked insulin-carrying flights, although the issue has since been resolved. Critics also, uh, excuse me, accuse 
state authorities and the media downplaying the likely high number of child victims to protect the Biden administration and Hawaii Democrats. Social media comment, commentators, influencers, and prominent figures have criticized the lack of aggressive media coverage, suggesting a deliberate attempt to cover up a government, governmental failures. They claim that uh, once the true toll becomes apparent, a reckoning is imminent for local government and media alike. Well, we have a hurricane coming into Florida, which I think will be the next distraction. So all you people down in Florida, get your shit together. Because we have this full moon coming in Pisces. And it's going to cross over Saturn. And it's like, gonna, I feel like it's going to suck everything up. And then it's just going to dump, right? So then we'll be talking about the hurricane. Now we're going to have this constant dialogue of climate change. And then Maui will be in the rearview mirror. More than 2,000 children from Lahaina Public Schools still missing after Maui wildfires. In a deeply concerning development, the Hawaii State Department of Education has reported, now this is not speculation, this is the Hawaii State Department of Education, reported that 2,025 students remain unaccounted for in the Lahaina Public School System following a devastating fire on August 8th in Lahaina, Maui. Of the 3,001 students initially enrolled, Across four schools in the district, 538 have re-enrolled in other public schools. 438 have enrolled in the state distance learning program. However, the fate of the remaining 2025 is still uncertain. So they're basing that on enrollment. And maybe some of these kids just aren't going to be enrolled, period. Like maybe it's just a, a statistical um calculation and that really they're just not going to go back to school immediately but let's say that's true let's say that's true how many of the 2025 students are just doing that maybe a portion maybe 15 percent, maybe 20 percent. i don't know what the percentage is but we have we we have to allow for for that to be a part of you know the the equation and the, and the variable so this is a part of the story it's a big part of the story and i you know i hope to get some answers here with some of my other connections which i'll revisit this week uh private schools in Maui are also impacted Maui Preparatory Academy received about 1,000 new applications and reshuffled its campus to accommodate 110 new students, a 40% enrollment increase. Maybe some of those students are going there. A Sacred Heart School with about 200 students was destroyed by the fire. The situation has left many survivors furious, wondering if a few more minutes of warning could have saved numerous lives. You know, I was looking at some of the... Uh, conditions prior to the fire and the winds were nuts they were just absolutely nuts and the power lines were were swaying in the wind like palm trees and this is why alex jones discounts the dew theory he doesn't discount dues by the way but he does discount the do theory 
and he believes that this was caused by these power lines that went down. Um, Maui had an incredibly dry season. So when the power lines, which had power going through them, hit the, uh, the dry uh, vegetation, that is a tinderbox. And that's what set this thing off. And part of, part of the malfeasance is the fact that they had so much dry foliage and they hadn't done anything to it. Like they were creating uh, the, uh, the conditions for kindling. That's, that's his theory. And, and that could be absolutely true. Do these things have to be mutually exclusive? Could they be both? Could Jones's um, planned environmental disaster, where everything is kind of lined up, right? And even, and maybe this is the time of year on Maui where they do get high winds. But we know that the weather can be manipulated. You have everything kind of lined up, no water. To me, that sounds a lot like San Francisco and the fire of San Francisco where they didn't have any water. And they just let it burn, right? I think Chicago might have been the same where they just, they had no access to water. So you had no water. The sirens don't go off. You had an emergency warning that was stopped because it was supposedly um, people, people heard it, it stopped, and they thought the emergency was over, right? We're just going back and repiecing everything, piecing things back together. And then the lines come down, and I've seen the video. There, there's, I mean, really, they're swaying like palm trees. And the lines have charge in them. Like, so part of this also, if they're playing with this new Green Deal thing, they'll never have that again, right? It's a way for them to completely rewire the island. And how do you account for the blue roofs? That's the other thing. How do you account for the blue roofs? For the blue roofs? So is the do theory and the uh, manicured malfeasance theory, are they mutually exclusive? I, I would say no. I would say no. I would say that, that uh, every, I think that it would be very simple for them to have a little fire starter. Or at the very least, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, there are times when I've, like, like I've cooked a steak, but it hasn't cooked completely all the way I want. So I have one of those kitchen torches and I, and I, and I'll glaze the steak with the kitchen torch and I'll get the fat on the steak kind of nice and crispy. Right. It's kind of like that. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. In any case, there are many unanswered questions here and we're going to talk about it as long as we need to, or, um, have the have the uh, information at our disposal, and I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to reach out this week and see if I can find 
uh, will connect with this other source. I have two other sources there in Maui. So one is on their way back to Maui. One is actually living there in Maui and I think still in Lahaina. So there you go, a little return to Lahaina and a quick look into the missing children. I would say maybe out of the 2000, you've got some that have relocated to other schools, some that have stayed home. There's, I think, a large chunk that are missing. And the question is, did they die in the fire? Question mark. Or were they removed? If they were removed, then where did they go? All right, I did say that we would be uh, on a pitch count today, and we're, we're kind of we're kind of at the end of the pitch count. So staying with the theme of children in schools, I'm going to play you something that will put a smile on your face, guaranteed to put a smile on your face, and it has to do with children and schools. So this is from um, Twitter. And you guys will dig this. This is from just the other day. Uh, posted August 28th. So Jill uh, rocking her latest curtain tablecloth ensemble, trying to match Jordan Peterson in, in her quest to uh, take the, the best fashion op for the Hunger Games 2023, went to address a group of students. And um, here's, the, here's the greeting that
communist government. We don't care. There's a line. Here's the line with the North and the South. And you can't cross that line. And if we find that we you, you cross that line, either directly or indirectly, if we find it out, we're going to vaporize you. That's what we'll do. We'll vaporize you. Make no mistake about it. We won't send any of our boys over there to get wounded, killed, maimed, come back. No. We'll turn the lush jungles of North Vietnam into a fucking desert. You know what we're going to do? And we're going to tell the rest of the world. We're going to be really transparent. We're not going to hide it. It's not going to be covert. We're going to make our offer global. Because if and when we have to do that, everybody will know that you've been warned. That it was on the table and it was your fault. That's how you, that's how you end the fucking war. They're like, really? Oh, you're going to give us, you're going to give us $10 billion? If, if, if $5 billion? Let's say you gave them $5 billion. Say you gave them a billion in 1960 money, that's a shit ton of money. Say you give them a billion, let's say you give the South Vietnamese a billion, make it equal. You're still $18 billion in the clear, right? You saved $18 billion by making that offer. And if they said no, you say there's no negotiating, right? There's no negotiating. If you continue down this path, and, and again, this is all going to be very public and transparent. If you say no to this offer, we're just going to vaporize you. And that's just it, right? And then you, you, you know, whatever the fucking Cold War game is, which is pretty much a joke, you know, you basically... Um, call their bluff that's what the movie the watchman is about by the way it's the alternative uh world where nixon bombs north korea north vietnam and what happens as a result of that right it's kind of an interesting take it's an interesting movie i didn't like it at first but after i saw it on repeated viewings it was actually really interesting and um poses some fascinating philosophical questions that's for sure. Anyway, I've just been spending a lot more time on the Vietnam War. What a just a clusterfuck, man. Total, total clusterfuck. And, I, and, and there was this one uh, news bit where this guy was, um, was talking about there was a new general. He's a guy from World War II. Like one of these generals from World War II that had a couple of victories. And World War II was such a different war. Like, you couldn't use World War II tactics in Vietnam. There's just no way. No way. I mean, the, the, the theater for war was just so different. So different. In Europe, they actually had fucking roads, right? <laughs> I mean, um, all right. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the dominoes. The dominoes that are falling in the war. The, the walls, the tumbling walls. Let's look at, uh, let's look at Obama.
is it? I just had this here. Give me a sec. And to go back to my position. That's what happens when you freeze up with your show. Right here. Here we go. I'm going to pull this out so I can blow it up a bit. All right. And I know you guys have seen this. Oh, that's not what I want. It's close, but not quite. Right there. Okay. All right. So there are some people who say that, well, you uh, tape up your fingers when you golf. That could be true. But what is the, like, the random uh, nature of taping the fingers? I, I, I don't play golf. But, again, maybe I'm wrong here, but I would assume that if you're going to tape your fingers playing golf, then you'd probably tape them together. So that you could have uh, a sturdier grip on the stick. This is not what's happening here. Right. And then why doesn't he just have another bandage here? Because, right? again, if you're swinging a stick, you, it, this would theoretically, in some ways, create an imbalance in the grip. Seriously. Golfers are are that. Um, granular because you you want to basically reproduce everything with a golf swing like your your muscle memory and body mechanics have to be intact and integrated and if you have something like this it's i'm telling you it's imbalanced and usually what you would have in my estimation is that they'd be taped together and you, those are band band-aids. That's not tape. They look like band-aids to me. And that's different than say athletic tape. In my opinion. Now, you notice on the other hand, he's got a glove. Well, why doesn't he have two gloves? Most golfers will wear two gloves. Or they'll wear the the thing with the fingers open, right? But it'll still be a glove. So, you know, you get a good grip on the on the uh, the stick with your palms, right? But you still have some finger control. So the, even that is off, right? One hand is gloved up, the other hand. So what's going on with the other hand? That's what I want to know. And clearly, it looks like somebody gave him a shiner. Now, Tafari Campbell, if you look at him physically, he's kind of thick, right? Like, Tuf I, 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 he's kind of thick. He's, he's muscular. 
and Obama is, you know, real thin. But he's 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 clearly clearly got a black eye, and you can see the swelling there. And this is not a happy camp, right? Like, I don't know what he's doing. Like, couldn't he have just waited another week? Did he did he have to go out and play golf? Was this some kind of therapy? Um did he did he have to go out with somebody as some part of some deal? I mean, if you think about it, and I know Obama's got a shit ton of money anyway, but there are people who would pay to play golf with Barack Obama. Seriously. They would pay to play with him. Number one, celebrity is the ex-president. Number two, to curry favor. Whatever you think of him and his current position, Obama is still incredibly powerful. And to get a one-on-one -on -one audience with him on the golf course, for some people, it'd be worth, I don't know, $100,000, $200,000. If the investment and the payoff could be in the millions, that's a small, that's a small investment to make. So maybe this was something that he had to do, right? Maybe this was a paid engagement and he couldn't not do it, right? Like the money is probably already in the bank. And once it's in the bank, it's hard to give it back. That's my, that's my thought. I mean, so. It's either arrogance and some form of trying to forget what happened, or this was a golf date that had already been planned and he couldn't get out of it. And I would say that it's probably financial or maybe he owed somebody a favor. One of the two. That's my, th that's my thought. Something happened here. So now we add it up, right? We add up the fact that, they said they weren't there, but then they were. His body was 100 feet away from the shore, eight feet under. Come on. Supposedly, there were people on paddle boards there. Supposedly, people went over to see if he was okay, right? That doesn't add up either. Like, that does not add up. If somebody was there and, who, and, and he wasn't okay, then what happened? Then what happened? Did they just decide that they were going to put him on the paddleboard and drop him off? I mean, there's all sorts of really weird, high, strange speculation. Now, the other piece is that somebody supposed, was supposed to have been on the paddleboard with him. So none of this adds up. The 911 call, we looked at this on the Sunday night show with the log, there's no number associated with that call. And supposedly that call was made two miles outside of the um, Obama mansion, two miles away. No name, no number associated with it. Who did that? Who made that call? And then the other piece was that they wanted him to be uh, given an autopsy by the DC police. Well, of course, you have Muriel Bowser, who's the mayor of D.C., right, who I think is probably 
very much an Obama ally and could, you know, run their own kind of coroner operation, just like the Clintons did out of Alabama, out of Arkansas with their absolutely corrupt coroner. So there's all kinds of, again, really weird shit and questions that have not been answered. And nobody on the mainstream media is covering this. They're just going to kind of go, oh, how unfortunate, right? But what's happened since then? Well, guess what? Devin Archer sang like a canary. He sang like a canary. You know, I keep looking for the little bluebird on Twitter, and I have to remember that it's a fucking X now. Let's see. Right here. Right here. So Devin Archer, testified yesterday. They were going to arrest him. He's already in fucking prison. Devin Archer's provided the last piece of the puzzle. The Republican House is from Vernon Jones. I guess he's running for governor of uh, Georgia. Republican House must not worry about the Senate not doing the right thing in convicting President Biden, nor should the House GOP be concerned about the injustice of the Justice Department, the lack of the investigation by the FBI, or the 2024 election results, do the right thing, proceed with the impeachment inquiry. So he's in trouble, right? He is in trouble. Devin Archer basically said that the big guy is Joe Biden. He's He was in on calls. They were there doing government business. He was vice president of the United States. It's corruption. This is from Miranda Devine. I guess she's from what, the New York Post? Uh, the DOJ is trying to arrest Devin Archer just ahead of the bombshell testimony Monday about Joe Biden's involvement in the Sun Hunter's Ukraine business when he was VP. U.S. Attorney in the Southern District of New York, Damian Williams, issued a menacing letter yesterday telling Judge Abrams to order Archer to go to jail immediately to serve a one-year sentence for his fraud conviction. Didn't happen. He testified. He testified. This is from July 30th. Oh, look, they're golfing. Hunter Biden, this is from um, 23rd of July, put then-VP Dad Joe on the phone with business associates at least two dozen times, ex-partner Devin Archer to testify. He did. He did. They tried to, they tried to jail him up. Got it. He got it out.
God, the Southern District of New York is so fucking corrupt. That's this thing is significant, right? So that's this happened. But keep in mind now, this happened in the vacuum, or or, or I'll call it a vacuum of the event at the Obamas. I think Obama is compromised. Like I think, I think he can do things. But something something significant has happened here. And as much as he's been radioactive at times, maybe in the past, um, I feel like like this is super kryptonite. This isn't just your regular standard issue crypt. This is super kryptonite. So you've got that. That happened. Um, again, just days afterwards, the judge basically said, and this is interesting, in terms of the timing, they knew that this stuff with Devin Archer was going to come out. And so Hunter Biden's team said, well, the plea deal is blanket immunity, right? Like, like we'll testify and we'll plead guilty as long as we get blanket immunity for anything, including this. And it was denied. That's on the heels of the whole Obama event. So that's two major strikes against Hunter Biden. And you have to wonder if that would have happened if Obama had not been compromised on some level. You may think, well, they don't give a shit. They don't care about Biden. They'll just get Harris in there. I don't really fully agree with that. Then this came out as well, that Ashley Biden finally admitted to the fact that that indeed was her diary. That that was her. And it's weird, right? Because the Ashley Biden diary was considered to be stolen and Project Veritas got a hold of it. And then you have the Hunter Biden laptop, which was left at the, uh, more than one, left left at the laptop repair. What is it with the Biden kids leaving shit behind? It's kind of like they have an unconscious desire to be found out, you know, sometimes people do things unconsciously or subconsciously and they want their absolute worst fears and worst nightmares exposed. So now it's been, now it's official. Yeah. That's her, that's her diary. Cause there was, there was a period where it was denied, 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 even though she wanted it back. And supposedly the people that stole it, which I guess was part of the, uh, Project Veritas team. I don't think they stole it. They acquired it, which is different. So you start to add these things up. And, and these, like, I'm telling you, the wall is going to come down here. And, and I'm not saying that it is a panacea for deliverance. I mean, just like when the Berlin Wall came down, it led to other things that became much more problematic in some ways. Like this was its own problem. But once the wall came down, the EU moved forward and look at, look at what's happened. So just keep this in mind, right? Cause these things are happening and Biden has taken on water in a big way, but then what happens as a result of it, Be careful what you wish for. 
Now, and I'm not saying that that won't turn out high, strange, and weird because more than likely due to the times we're in, it will. But um, in a time where there's unintended consequences, those unintended consequences, I think, can be uh, equally as strange and damaging as the ones that are intended. All right. I wouldn't call it hopium. It's not hopium. I'm just seeing like what's going on. And then we're kind of looking into how this thing has unfolded and will continue to unfold in what I would call a very compromised situation at the White House because the global brain has been compromised. And uh, we'll just keep finding out here on this, on this Aquarian full moon. And uh, who knows what else will be exposed. All right. Thanks for being here. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of 15 Minutes of Flame. Uh, True Hemp Science. You got to mention our sponsor, some of the best hemp products that you can get and use for your body. Go to truehempscience.com. Type in 15 minutes. It's 1-5-M-I-N-S. When you buy $100 a product or more, and you'll get free product. Think about that. $150 gives you free shipping. And there's always a 30-day money-back guarantee. TrueHempScience.com, the one and only sponsor of this show. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. The special guest. You see, I didn't tell you who the guest is. I know who the guest is. And you'll find out tomorrow. And we're going to break down RFK on Jimmy Dore. It'll be fun. All right, use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart, two seconds possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. And uh, take good care. Chatari, you're the best. Bye.